Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. I'm in New Hampshire today preparing for a series of town halls with the leading Democratic presidential candidates. And I'm Zach Wolf, a senior writer at CNN. I'm in Washington, D.C., covering all things politics. This is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Zach and I have been hosting this show since impeachment kicked off back in September. While impeachment may be ending, Zach will talk more about that later. This podcast is not. We're going to shift our focus back to politics and 2020. Today, I want to start off with the Trump side of that 2020 occasion, because when he went into the House of Representatives to deliver his State of the Union message last night, uh, there is little doubt that it was entirely focused on framing the choice for the American people for his reelection campaign. And it is quite clear uh, that he is going to try. Now, I should say his advisors are going to try because we all know when Donald Trump is not just reading from the teleprompter, he tends to focus on other things. But at least it seems that the Trump campaign's effort to get the president to keep the focus on the economy was front and center last night. Three years ago, we launched the great American comeback. Tonight, I stand before you to share the incredible results. Jobs are booming. Incomes are soaring. Poverty is plummeting. Crime is falling. Confidence is surging. And our country is thriving and highly respected again. Now, Zach, you may be able to have a... a fact check field day with with some of that, but it's so broad uh, that it doesn't lend itself to that so easily. What it does suggest is that he's painting such a rosy picture. It doesn't necessarily sound like the very divided and divisive uh, moment that our country is in. It it sounds he's trying to say there is before Trump and now everything is great. And he wants people to believe that he is this sort of you know, mythical creature that came in and and single-handedly changed the country. That is, a, I, I think, a fantasy that most Americans probably won't completely buy into. But as a story to weave, as a political narrative, it could, I think, potentially be very convincing um, to people. I think it was belied at the same time by Nancy Pelosi sitting behind him, and when he was done, standing up and literally ripping up his speech. That, I think, shows you what Democrats and, and are, are going to, to do with this um, narrative he's going, to, he's going to spin in the coming year. And when she was asked about it, I think she said she was tearing it up because it was a speech full of lies and uh, untruths, and that's why it deserved to be ripped up. Of course, this was after he refused her extended hand. Uh, when he handed her the uh, text of his speech when he got up to uh, the the podium there in the well of the House of Representatives and uh, he went to go give his address to her. She extended her hand and he had already turned his back on her. That happened earlier in the evening and they haven't spoken uh, with each other since October, we had reported. So uh, the Pelosi-Trump relationship doesn't seem good, does it, Zach? <laughs> no, it does not seem good. And you, you need to remember, as we all focus on 2020 and who's going to replace Trump uh, in, you know, or if Trump is going to be reelected, the government still has to be funded. There are still things they have to do um, you know, over the coming year to keep sort of the, the ship of state going. And it's pretty clear these people aren't 
talking to each other at all um, can barely be in the same room, even when it's in such, you know, such a large room as the as the the House chamber. (laughs) Um, You had mentioned the uh, battle for uh, who is going to win this nomination to be the one to take on Trump and try to deny him a second term. It seemed to me he was trying to do some framing of that choice as well with the speech last night. Uh, Both. Um, I, I want you to hear a little bit of sound from him because I think he both played a little bit of uh, defense on health care. He's very concerned understanding what happened with that issue and how badly it played for him in the 2018 midterms and then try to also pivot to offense on uh, the notion of the Democrats being socialists, which, as you know, one of the leading Democrats, Bernie Sanders, calls himself a Democratic socialist. So uh, Donald Trump trying to paint the whole party with uh, that Big, broad brushstroke. Give a listen. I've also made an ironclad pledge to American families. We will always protect patients with pre-existing conditions. <laughs> to those watching at home tonight, I want you to know we will never let socialism destroy American health care. Zach, what do you make of those those comments there, the pre-existing condition comments, which, as far as I can tell, uh, he does not protect pre-existing conditions. Yeah, that is, you know, objectively speaking, I think you could call that a lie since his administration is actively trying to defeat the Affordable Care Act in court. They've tried to suffocate the law in other ways. So while he says that he wants to protect uh, access to, to insurance for people with pre-existing conditions, everything he's actually done has been counter to that. That's thing number one. Thing number two is sort of trying to paint the entire uh, Democratic Party as being in line with, he didn't use the words, but he's talking about Medicare for all right there, which is the the signature plan of Bernie Sanders. Elizabeth Warren also supports it. That's sort of dividing the Democratic primary right now, how to fix the healthcare system to make it more accessible and more affordable. That is the, I think, aside from Trump, the motivating issue for a lot of Democrats. And he is poking that wound by pointing this out and and trying to make the entire party seem socialist. Yeah. In fact, we saw in the entrance polls in the Iowa caucuses, uh, the bit of data we did have on uh, Monday night, uh, that nearly six in 10 Iowa Democratic caucus goers uh, were in favor of Medicare for all. It's a pretty liberal, more left-leaning electorate there in Iowa among the Iowa Democrats than perhaps Democrats nationally and perhaps certainly more so than Democrats in New Hampshire. But um, it is clearly it has clearly been the life force of the policy debate inside the Democratic nomination race. And uh, and you're right. There's no doubt that he's trying to uh, continue that cleavage and try to divide Democrats uh, by bringing that up. Uh, can I get your sense now? Zach, on the 2020 race, as 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 the race turns from Iowa to New Hampshire, as we see Pete Buttigieg uh, with a slim lead, though we wait to see as more vote comes in from Iowa, that may change. Uh, we shall see. But at the moment, I think 71 percent of precincts are reporting at the time we're recording this podcast. And uh, he's still got this slight edge over Bernie Sanders, uh, followed down there by Elizabeth Warren and then uh, Joe Biden and Amy Klobuchar. What? What is your take about how this race has been reshaped after Iowa? You know, I I think we're not we haven't really realized the phenomenon of Buttigieg yet. This guy. Think about this. He is the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and he may have just won the Iowa caucuses. I mean, if, if you take a step back and think about that, that 
is a political miracle uh, that I, I think we haven't really taken stock of yet. And we won't have the appropriate amount of time to really do that since we're barreling into New Hampshire. And it seems pretty clear he's probably not going to have quite as good a night in New Hampshire. Uh, but the other story I, I think we're kind of underselling is how big a deal a potential fourth place finish is for Joe Biden. This is a guy who's run for president twice before, longtime senator, two-time vice president. He should be walking away with this thing. He wasn't even in the top three in Iowa from what we've seen of the results so far. That's incredible. That is incredible. And it is uh, what you're saying about sort of not realizing or fully appreciating the Buttigieg moment. Part of that has to deal with the fact that there were no results on Monday night. And so he is missing out on a traditional important bounce for the Iowa winner. Should he actually end up being the Iowa winner? I mean, he would have just been blanketed everywhere the next day. That did not happen uh, for anyone uh, coming out of Iowa. But that may uh, be a real wound for uh, Buttigieg to really be able to maximize the potential of what that uh, victory could be for him. Uh, Zach, great to chat with you. I've got to get back to preparations for the town hall tonight, and I will hand the rest over to you, sir. Sounds good, David. I'm going to dive into the lessons of impeachment following the president's acquittal. But first, this quick break. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. I'm Zach Wolf. David Chalian has returned to his New Hampshire primary responsibilities, but I have a special guest with me. That's CNN reporter and producer Marshall Cohen. Thanks for joining me, Marshall. Hey, Zach. Okay, Marshall, we have spent a lot of time in this room and in the CNN Washington Bureau watching the impeachment of Donald Trump. And just a few moments ago, we heard Chief Justice John Roberts bring it all to an end. He said... This. Take a listen. The Senate, having tried Donald John Trump, President of the United States, upon two articles of impeachment exhibited against him by the House of Representatives, and two thirds of the senators present not having found him guilty of the charges contained therein, it is therefore ordered and adjudged that the said Donald John Trump be, and he is hereby, acquitted of the charges in said articles. Okay, that's it. Senate legal speak for Donald Trump gets away with it, essentially. Is that the takeaway? Uh, Well, I mean, Donald Trump, not guilty, uh, right? Um, You know, kind of like in our criminal justice system, it's not guilty or innocent, right? They didn't say he was innocent today. They said he was not guilty. And of course, they were never going to reach that 67 senator threshold to actually remove him from office. So, you know, what was interesting today actually was little bit of the breakdowns, right? You saw some people like Susan Collins, who had been pushing for witnesses, you know, a swing Republican, fall right back in line. You know, she was right there with Mitch McConnell and everyone else voting to acquit the president. Um, You know, Mitt Romney standing his ground. He wanted witnesses. He voted to hear from John Bolton. That was smothered. Today, he came out in in favor of uh, Article One, abuse of power, and 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 um, you know. So it's interesting to see how it breaks down. But there really weren't many surprises today, Zach. I will break with you there. I thought Mitt Romney breaking with his party and voting to convict Donald Trump on one of the two articles, uh, uh, abuse of power, 
is a stunning thing. And let oh, me, me let, me, oh, let I, me lay I, it out. I agree. Um, I totally agree. It is so rare. These it's the days, first time ever. First time ever that a senator has voted against a president of his or her own party in an impeachment trial, and that's. I mean, that's a that's a rarefied group of people because there have only been two other of these things. But it is so rare in today's Washington that somebody surprises you and votes essentially against their party. And of all the hundred senators, he is the only one that broke the party line. All of the Democrats who clearly were a little uncomfortable with this, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, and Doug Jones of Alabama, they all fell in line. All of the Republicans, Susan Collins, uh, Lisa Murkowski, um, you know, Cory Gardner, although he was never really uncomfortable with it, they all fell in line. Mitt Romney, who used to be the Republican standard bearer, who was the Republican nominee in 2012, is the only person who found his conscience broke with the party line. That is a remarkable thing, I think. Um, and he, he, he explained it in, on the Senate floor in a really thoughtful speech. And here's what he said. He basically, well, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let him say it. In the last several weeks, I've received numerous calls and texts. Many demanded in their words that I stand with the team. I can assure you that that thought has been very much on my mind. You see, I support a great deal of what the president has done. I voted with him 80% of the time. But my promise before God to apply impartial justice required that I put my personal feelings and political biases aside. Were I to ignore the evidence that has been presented and disregard what I believe my oath and the Constitution demands of me for the sake of a partisan end, it would, I fear, expose my character to history's rebuke and the censure of my own conscience. That's some pretty weighty stuff there. He's talking about the difficulty of coming to this decision um, and essentially how he had to break with his party to, to, you know, to be on the right side of history, essentially. Why is there so little of that in Washington, you might wonder? He was immediately excoriated by uh, Republicans. Donald Trump Jr. said he should be expelled from the party. He will pay a political price for this. Right. That's why. So what yeah. is the takeaway? He's the not take getting away? a speaking spot at the convention this year. Right. I'll tell you that. Not invited to CPAC. No speaking spot at the convention. Um, it, it's it's it, you, There is no room, and this is, I think, the ultimate takeaway from impeachment. There is no room for party dissent anymore. We are I mean, in our corners. It's It's tragic in so many ways because, you know, you think about the big things that have been done in this country over the years, and many of them were done with people working across the aisle, you know. Uh, those days seem very, very long forgotten. Uh, yeah, Mitt Romney deserves a lot of credit today. You know, he did something that almost nobody was willing to do, and it seems like he actually took his oath seriously. I mean, remember, take yourself back to the very first day of this impeachment trial. Every single senator, wrote, uh, you know, lifted their hand and swore an oath to do impartial justice and to be a serious juror. They signed a book with their name signing this oath saying that they would listen to the facts and follow the facts. And honestly, it seems like Romney might be the only guy who took that oath seriously. Now. I do think that there is an argument for Republicans that this impeachment could jeopardize 
the institutions in Washington. You'd agree with it, don't agree with it. It is a compelling argument that impeaching Trump for this could, you know, take away from Americans an option in the coming election. And Mitch McConnell was talking about this and he spe- he made it very partisan. But I, this piece of sound uh, from his closing speech in this trial just before the vote struck me. Listen to what he had to say. Speaker says she will just refuse to accept this acquittal. Speaker of the House says she refuses to accept this acquittal. Whatever that means. Perhaps she will tear up the verdict like she tore up the State of the Union address. Okay, I like that sound, first of all, because I think that's about as emotional and engaged as you will ever hear Mitch McConnell get. He kind of raised his voice a little bit there. He was he was clapping back at Nancy Pelosi, um, essentially in his own way, in, in his in his own way for saying that she doesn't think this acquittal is legitimate because they didn't involve witnesses. Um, that gets a little bit down in a rabbit hole, but it comes back to the point that these branches of government aren't talking to each other. They aren't engaging with each other at all right now, and they don't respect each other. It's broken. It's, I mean, you hear that every presidential cycle, every election cycle, that our politics is broken, but it really is. It's not working the way it's supposed to. The framers of our Constitution, this is their absolute worst nightmare from every angle, not just Trump, but, the, you know, some of the things that the Democrats did in the House, too, with regards to how this impeachment progressed. You know, but another thing that McConnell said that was so interesting, you know, he really bashed the Democrats, said that they violated a lot of norms, you know, in the way that they brought this, and that's what's going to do the damage to the institution. But, you know, go back one last time to what started this whole darn thing, which was that phone call with uh, the Ukrainian president. You know, Trump has made a career of destroying political norms. You know, his supporters think that it's great. He's an outsider. His detractors have said that it is, you know, worthy of literally removing him from office. But, you know, when Mitch McConnell goes up there and talks about norms uh, and attacking the Democrats on that, it's hard not to call that out as hypocritical. And I think the biggest lesson, Zach, of this whole impeachment is the state of our democracy, let's just be totally honest, is way more fragile than anyone I think ever imagined. That's a that's a good point. You saw we don't have the sound right in front of us, but on his way out the door, essentially John Roberts invited senators to come watch the the Supreme Court, and he said, you know, we all need to pay attention to our responsibilities under the Constitution. His voice was almost breaking as he said it, so I, I think he um, recognizes that too. That was the only personality we really saw from him yeah, well, in this luck. trial. Good luck with that. Good, good luck with that. Okay, so the impeachment uh, of Donald Trump is over. We have um, used and abused Marshall, who's been in here a lot uh, with his knowledge. I appreciate you joining me in the final episode of the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. But fear not, listeners, we will continue publishing new episodes of this podcast every weeknight. The name will slim down back to the Daily DC, and we're going to focus on politics at large. And 2020 in particular, David Chalian will host some episodes and I'll host some episodes. Marshall obviously will pitch in from time to time and we'll have special guests from across the CNN family. So please, if you haven't already, subscribe to the Daily DC on your favorite podcast app. As always, we'd like to thank our listeners and a special thanks to everyone here at CNN who has guided this podcast through impeachment. We'll see you tomorrow. Quick. 
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.